The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Saturday, April the 18th, 2020. And I hope that you are persevering through this storm. It is a storm that is going to be here for some time, unfortunately, as far as I am concerned. And I hope that you are in good health. And I want to again say that if you or anyone you know is afflicted by this virus or by any other health concern, I empathize with you and I send you the very best wishes for a speedy recovery and a rejuvenation of your health. If you know anybody at all who has passed away from this virus or any other health situation, I send my deepest and most sincere heartfelt condolences to you, to your family, and to anyone else affected. I want to start with some tips that we all can use if we are buying groceries, which I am hoping that you are able to. Obviously, everybody's economic situation is different. We are seeing food banks all over the United States, and this is also happening in other countries, certainly in the UK, in many places on the African continent, all kinds of continents and countries are affected. If you are one of the fortunate people who can afford to buy groceries, or even if you are someone who can't afford to, make sure that when you get home, if you have gloves on, Or if you don't, but obviously when you get home, wash your hands with soap and water. If you don't have a home, if there is a restroom that is available publicly, and I don't even know if that would be the case now in many cities and states, but if there are public restrooms available, if there are any facilities available publicly that may be open, make sure you do wash your hands.
But if you do have these groceries or if you do get food from a food line or a food bank, what I would urge you to do is to wipe down the packages of those breads or other groceries. Make sure you get some kind of soap and water, whatever the soap is, and have a cloth or some kind of tissue and wipe down your groceries. Preferably with wipes themselves, if you have wet wipes, anything like that, that has the alcohol agent in it that will kill viruses or any kind of rubbing alcohol, preferably something that's 75% alcohol or above. If you are able to procure those supplies, and I know that wipes are in short supply, there are Target locations if you are a Target shopper. Some of those Target locations will have wet wipes and they are rationing them out to one per person. Certainly in one store here in San Francisco that's happening. I don't know if that is true of the Target where you may be located nearest to. But I do think that it is worth looking at if you are trying to get wipes and if you find that your grocery store locally doesn't have any, try Target. Call ahead of time. Ask them if they have wet wipes. Ask any store for that matter if they have them. Anyway, what I would recommend is that you wipe down your groceries. No, 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 no. That's not a joke. Wipe down your groceries because you don't know whose hands have touched the packages of the groceries that you are being handed, whether it is on a food line, food bank, whether you are handling them yourself at a grocery store, at a Trader Joe, at a Whole Foods, wherever you may shop. You do not know whose hands have been on those packages, whether they had gloves on when they put their hands on those packages and then put them back. How many times do we go to a grocery store, put our hands on a product, a package, plastic, what kind, whatever it might be, and then put it back? We're not wearing gloves, most of us, when we do that. And what if the person who put that package back had sneezed a moment before, a few minutes before? So, not to freak people out. I mean, these are things that I think that people should be doing. So, when you get home, wipe down the groceries, the packages, with some wipes, alcohol wipes, with soap and water if you don't have wipes. Get a cloth, get some kind of tissue, soak it lightly in warm water and soap, whatever it might be, make sure it is soap, it's got soap in it and wipe down your grocery packages. Leave them out to dry for maybe half an hour, maximum. And then when they are sufficiently dry after half an hour, then I would place them in your refrigerator, place them in, you know, your uh, cupboards or wherever you store the groceries that you purchase. This will be helpful to you. I think it's important. You would be surprised how 
um, these things linger. And these are recommendations that I am getting from none other than Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who talked about this on CNN just a few days ago. So that's where I get this information from. I will always tell you where I am getting information from just for the sake of it being very important because there's a lot of things flying around without attribution. And I will always tell you when I am just opining on something and you'll be able to tell that. And I will always tell you when I am getting news and where I'm getting it from and how it's being sourced. By the way, one other thing, I would wipe down door handles, your remote control, your iPad, your phone, and the light switches in your home, the door handles in your home, and the keys you use to open your front door with. Because this is, these are common areas of contact in your home. If you are fortunate enough to have a roof over your head, these are the common things you touch if you watch television, remote control, if you're on your laptop, if you don't have a TV but you have a laptop, you are going to be typing on your laptop. You're going to be touching your screen on an iPad, on your iPhone, on your phone in general. So you're going to want to wipe those down daily. In fact, probably more than once a day. And make sure that you wash your hands. Keys. We know that this virus can linger on keys for up to three days. The World Health Organization has talked about that. So please, if you are going out and taking a walk, be sure to wipe your keys down. Wipe down the front door handle on your door and inside your door from the other side of your door. Please do that. This is not OCD. This is about protecting you and your family. A lot of headlines to get through, a very, very full headlines before getting to the main idea for this episode. Headlines, headlines, headlines. Well, here in California, the death toll has crossed the 1,000 mark. That was announced yesterday. And uh, look, I know that there are... People are dying all over the world. Um, so, you know, I, I am just quite frankly upset about all of this death everywhere. And I'm upset at the governor here in California who, while he's been very good in a lot of areas, has been tremendously lacking in transparency about just how many people have died about how many healthcare workers have been tested or have died. I, I am just so incensed by it, actually, which is why some of you who follow me on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L um, may have come across tweets from me really criticizing this governor, Gavin Newsom, here in California, California's governor, because I just don't think 
that despite the fact he's done well on a lot of things, he has done very poorly in the area of transparency. There are lots of people in this state who are suffering, especially in Los Angeles County, some 400 odd miles south of here in San Francisco. Down in Los Angeles County, we have over 11,000 people and counting who have this virus and many deaths from that number. And Gavin Newsom was on television this week and last week getting this national exposure. And I quite frankly don't think that he's done as great a job as the national exposure would perhaps suggest to you. I'm not so sure that Californians think that, or I would say I'm not so sure that many Californians think that Gavin Newsom has done this terrific job. If you read the Los Angeles Times, there are a lot of people who are not happy with the way that this state government has responded to them or others in their position and in their situation. And to that end, the Los Angeles Times with an article today, Bay Area Blood Study talks about vastly higher totals of infection. Now, this is something that needs to be talked about here because I do think that these are the kinds of stories that aren't getting the national exposure that they really should be getting. This is from today's Los Angeles Times. Bay Area blood study suggests a vastly higher infection total. Subtitle, early estimates based on antibody tests are 50 to 85 times greater, indicating spread by asymptomatic people. This is by Melanie Mason and Deborah Netburn. In the weeks since the novel coronavirus outbreak has squelched daily life in America, researchers have struggled to assess the true extent of, ex of its spread. But initial results from a Northern California study on coronavirus antibodies suggest it has circulated much more widely than previously thought, according to a report released Friday. The preliminary study conducted by researchers at Stanford University estimates that between 2.5% and 4.2% of Santa Clara County residents had antibodies to the new coronavirus in their blood by early April. Antibodies are an indication that a person's immune system has responded to a past infection. Though the county had reported roughly, now this is Santa Clara County, which is around 40 miles, I guess, south of San Francisco. Though the county had reported roughly 1,000 cases at that point, the Stanford researchers estimate the actual number was between 48,000 and 81,000. I'm going to repeat that. Though the county had reported roughly 1,000 cases at that point, the Stanford researchers estimate the actual number was between 48,000 and 81,000 cases or 50 to 85 times greater.
Then the article goes on. And one thing is they list Barbara Ferrer. Now, I talked about Barbara Ferrer, Ferrer or at least mentioned her a week or two ago when I was talking about COVID-19 and the fact that it really does discriminate. And I'm going to get into that a bit later on here. Again, because it's important. And Barbara Ferrer, L.A. County's top public health official, said that although Los Angeles study, the Los Angeles study will have somewhat different numbers, quote, they're going to tell a similar story. And I think the story is many more people have been infected with COVID-19 than those who are being captured through our testing. The discrepancy, Ferrer said, owed to the slow start for coronavirus diagnostic testing and the fact that many people with few or no symptoms were unable to get tested. Now, let me just push back on something here. I know that Barbara Ferrer is someone who has been hailed by numerous people, including Dr. Kamara Jones, who I'm also going to be mentioning again later on. But if you read between the lines, read with a third eye, and I think I said in a previous episode, read with a third ear. Well, you can't really read with a third ear. You can listen with a third ear, <laughs> but you cannot read with one. But you can definitely read with a third eye. Many more people have been infected, she says, with COVID-19 than those who are being captured through our testing. Well, first of all, California's testing has been abysmal, just like most, just like the rest of the countries have. The rest of the United States of America's testing has been abysmal. We aren't even tracking. We're barely getting to 20,000 tests a day. Barely, if we're lucky. So far, we've tested less than 4 million people in this country. And the reason why many more people are being infected, as Barbara Ferrer says, she says many more people have been infected than those captured by our testing. Well, first of all, you've not tested very many people, Dr. Ferrer. Let's, let's, let's have it absolutely right. You've got Latinos down in your state, in your county down there, who are absolutely catching hell from this virus. You've got, right now, in concentration camps on the U.S.-Mexico border, on the southern border of this U.S., people in cages in concentration camps who are brown people from Mexico and from elsewhere in Latin America who are still in these camps. They are surely, surely contracting this virus as well. And then, as I said, the fact that many people with few or no symptoms were unable to be tested. Well, let me tell you, the, the reason why that's happening is because it wasn't that they were just unable to be tested. There is a reason why they were unable to be tested. And that reason is that people in this state who are in government and in states across the country, and certainly Trump in the federal government, we're saying we're not testing people who have no symptoms. We're not testing you if you have mild symptoms. We're not even testing you if you have chest pains. You're not going to be tested 
unless you have complete difficulty breathing. You're pretty much, forget it, don't even come to the hospital. Tough it out. You know, just go through your three weeks of agony. So, you know, that, that, that's the reality. If you have symptoms at all, you're not going to be tested. You have to be really sick. If you have mild symptoms, oh, you know, we're not going to test you. If you are asymptomatic, well, we're not going to test you. And testing is the very key thing, along with the contact tracing and infrastructure. I mean, there are people who were directors of STD testing, sexually transmitted disease testing, who were saying that that whole infrastructure that was in place where you had this contract contact tracing through STDs has been gone, it's disappeared. That has been eliminated by Trump. So that infrastructure that would have been able to do efficient contact tracing is now gone. And now you're getting private companies like Google and Apple jumping in on this. So there's so much politics involved in this too. My whole thing has been, you've got to test asymptomatics. You've got to, before you open up any kind of economy. And everyone is saying this now, except for Republican uh, sycophants. And there are some Republicans who are actually saying test, test, and test. But most are not. The Trump sycophants are saying, go back to work. Because they care more about money than they do about you and your health. So that's the story in the Los Angeles Times today. We need proper testing and an infrastructure for it. We need contact tracing. You've got to test at least 160 million people in this country. And in California, a quarter of those people reside, 41 million of them. So you've got to test, you've got to test and you've got to test and trace before you open up any economy. The lack of transparency by Governor Newsom. He's all well and good to tell you about, well, this is what we're going to do when we open this economy back up. He's all well and good raring to go to appease business leaders who you know, can't, you know, finance his campaign coffers. Here's what we're going to do when we eventually reopen. But what about here's what we're going to do when it comes to testing you and me here in California? or anywhere else in the country for that matter. Has any of your governors given a uh, roadmap to what the testing infrastructure is going to be like? I think I know what the answer to that is. Other headlines that I'm going to go through here. Janet Hall, the first woman who was elected Arizona governor, passed away at the age of 84. Also passing away at the age of 84 is the former U.S. Treasury Secretary Paul O'Neill.
There was a mother in the UK who was just, I think, 26 years old. She passed away from coronavirus, leaving her two-year-old daughter. (sighs) A police officer in the UK in England, described as a charismatic, thoughtful, caring person. He passed away from coronavirus. And I want to just give you their names so that you know who these individuals were. It's very important to have names and faces behind them. Well, her daughter was three years old and Sonia Kagan was her mother. Sonia Kagan, 26 years old, single mother. She worked at the Elizabeth Lodge Care Home in Enfield in the suburbs of London. Caring, kind-hearted soul. Care worker. This, This is the thing that makes you cry. This is the thing that makes me cry. 26 year old, single mother, dies. Leaving her three year old daughter. This is what this virus is doing to people. This is the kind of thing that the system that we have, whether it's in the UK, whether it's here in the US or anywhere else, exposes. She worked to save people's lives, to care for people. And now her daughter, three years old, is without her mother. A GoFundMe page, her relatives wrote, quote, she gave her life to protecting and caring for the most vulnerable. She was a gentle, caring, and kind-hearted soul. Sonia Kagan. Much-loved detective dies after contracting COVID-19, and that was the late John Coker, 53 years of age. He served with the British Transport Police for more than 10 years, was, quote, much-loved and respected and remembered as charismatic, kind, and thoughtful. He was a detective constable with the British Transport police. He will be greatly missed, a chief constable said. John Coker. Rest in peace. Rest in peace to Sonia Kagan and to all of the people who have lost their lives through COVID-19 or any other 
health situation. By the way, the New York Times has done a full section that you can find where they are paying tribute to all the people within the U.S. at least, and maybe abroad as well, who have passed away from this virus. And I think it is good that you take a look at that. You see names, you see faces, you can read the stories of these individuals. And I'm certainly going to be covering that side of this virus much more because we need to be in touch with those individuals who are no longer here by understanding that this virus is not only a serious thing, but understanding that there are people behind these numbers. I'm going to come back in just a few moments with some of the other headlines and then the main idea for this episode. Miles Davis, Solar. Welcome back to The Politocrat. Just a few more headlines before getting to the main topic of this episode. Newsweek with a report that has come out over the last few days saying that, and this is something that a lot of people may not be aware of, that I think you should be aware of this. Newsweek coming out with this report that, you know, I I, um, really opened my eyes to it because I was not with any idea about this, no clue at all that this was something that was going on. Newsweek, and this is from, let's get this date right, the 17th, so it was literally yesterday. Newsweek, coronavirus outbreak may have started as early as September, scientists say. The coronavirus could have started as early as mid-September, and the Chinese city of Wuhan may not be where it began, a scientist looking at the origins of the disease has said. Geneticist Peter Forster from the UK's University of Cambridge is leading a research project to understand the historical processes that led to the COVID-19 pandemic. Ultimately, they hope to identify the first person who got the virus and served as the source for the initial outbreak. By analyzing networks, they have so far been able to chart the spread of the virus Let me say that again. By analyzing the networks, 
they have so far been able to chart the spread of the virus, including the genetic mutations as it moved from China to Australia, Europe, and the rest of the world. That story is by Hannah Osborne, and it was on April the 17th, 2020, in Newsweek. Again, the title, Health. Now, under the health section, the title is Coronavirus Outbreak May Have Started As Early As September, Scientists Say. So that was September of 2019 that scientists are saying this may have started back then. And I've heard stories of people who, I know someone personally who has said to me that in October last year she was sick and that her father was sick. In October of 2019, cold, flu, didn't feel well. Or at least it felt like flu. Given that we know that Donald Trump had known about this virus in November of last year. Did he know about it earlier than that? We're going to continue to have stories come out that says and that will say that Donald Trump knew about this virus way before even last November. Perhaps he knew about it in September or even before that. If there were people in this country, at least one of whom has told me that she was sick, but she didn't know if it was just flu or something different and that her father was sick. And in fact, she had visited her father. And then when she got back to her residence, she got sick. And this was last October in 2019. Would it? be fair to say, or even dangerously speculate that COVID-19 was here in the United States last October or maybe September? Would that be such an unruly thing to postulate out loud? You know, there's something else that I am going to mention. Donald Trump, for those of you who may have not remembered or realized this, was rushed to hospital at Walter Reed, if I can say that again. Donald Trump was rushed to hospital at Walter Reed Medical Center last November in the latter part of that month in 2019. And it was apparently very serious. And the White House was very tight-lipped about it. They said, well, he just had to have some tests. It was a routine medical. Routine medical? And all the stories suggested that he had been rushed there because he was not well. Oh, no, don't worry. He, he uh, you know, he was um, just being put in there for testing and we just needed to get in there. He had this hospital visit last year. And it was pretty darn serious. This was November 19th. And there are people saying, you know, why was this guy rushed to hospital? 
Did he have a heart attack? I had a very routine physical, Trump said. This is from The Guardian, November 19th of 2019. Was it a heart attack? Was it COVID-19? He was out of the public eye for two days. Now, you can't keep this guy away from any camera or any Twitter account for more than a minute and a half. This is something that should be looked at. Did he have a stroke? Did he have chest pains? You know, people talk about Joe Biden and this and that about Joe Biden. And Lord knows, you know, if you've listened to various episodes of this podcast, I have had my issues with Joe Biden. But I've also told you that I am going to be voting for him this November. And I think that everybody should. And as a Bernie Sanders supporter, I will be doing that. And I urge every Bernie Sanders supporter to do that too. Of course, there are those uh, small few who I even kind of, I'm skeptical of if they are really Bernie Sanders supporters or if they are somehow paid trolls from somewhere or other who are going, never Biden, never Biden. Well, I think that we should be looking at, we should be really looking at, looking at never Trump here. There's no chance we're going to be voting for him. I'm not going to be voting for him. There's no way I'm voting for Donald Trump at all. And I would urge these folks, by the way, these never Biden people to reconsider. You're saying never Biden at a moment where 40,000 plus and counting have died in this country at Trump's hands. The same Trump that says that he's not responsible at all. And they're talking about Joe Biden's health. What about Trump's health? There's obviously something wrong with this guy to begin with. He's a sociopath is what's wrong with him. He's a psychopath. This guy eats junk food. Right? This guy does not eat anything healthy. Two days he was out of the public eye last November. Was it due to COVID-19? Boris Johnson was in the hospital for a week over that. He was in the intensive care unit for six days. And you never heard another word about this. This is November of last year. And by the way, the White House shifted their description about his health. CNN here. Trump and White House. This is from CNN. Their website, the White House shifts description of Trump's visit to Walter Reed by Jeremy Diamond, November the 19th, 2019. The White House offered shifting descriptions of Donald Trump's medical exam in the days since he made an unscheduled Saturday visit to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. 
Trump and White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham. She's the one who held that position and never held a single White House press room briefing. Initially billed Trump's visit as the first part of the president's annual physical, but two days later, the president's doctor described the hospital visit as an interim checkup. A term physicians told CNN implies a separate visit that is not part of an annual physical. So if they are saying in the story, the president's physician is saying, Dr. Sean Conley is saying, that this is a routine thing. That he had no chest pain or evaluated for any urgent or acute issues. Why was he in hospital for two days? Why was he, or rather should I say, why was he out of the public eye for two days? Did he have a stroke? Did he have a heart attack? Did he come down with COVID-19 in November of last year? Wouldn't you be able to have an exam like this at the White House? And we still don't know what happened. Maybe we'll find that out eventually. Long after we've drummed him out of office. Welcome back. This is so comical. U.S. Canada to keep border open. Excuse me. U.S. and Canada to keep the border closed 30 more days. Associated press story. So there's an agreement between Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada and Trump to keep the border closed. The U.S. border north of the border, of course, north to keep that closed to 30 more days. But uh, Trump wants to reopen the uh, U.S. by May 1st. Yeah. Okay, it's April the 18th, 2020, and they've agreed, both Trump and Trudeau, to keep the border closed, the U.S.-Canada border closed, for 30 more days. But Trump wanted to keep the, open up America again, open up the U.S. on May 1st. (laughs) This is not funny. This is sick. Premier League football, not likely to happen before June at the earliest. There were some conversations about that in England yesterday amongst the Premier League's club's executives. Not likely to happen um, before June. In fact, June is very ambitious. I think it's going to be at least October. Four more months after that. That's what I'm looking at here. And we need testing. Again, you need infrastructure. You need testing. Tracing. And probably if it opens up in November, there's going to be no fans in the stadium. It's going to be behind closed doors. That's what's happening in Spain. The mayor of Madrid, this is all from the Associated Press, has said that when the sports open up again, and and these arenas are open or these stadia are open. They're only going to be open to the 
professional athletes. And there is not going to be any fans. It's going to be the sports, football, that soccer to you in the US, but football is going to be played behind closed doors. And the reality is, is that I think here the NFL will be doing the same thing come uh, come September. If they do play then. The deaths in Africa on the African continent are above the 1,000 level. So California has the same amount of... uh, I mean, this is just... This blows my mind. California has the same number of deaths as the African continent does. 1,000 people, including Nigeria's chief of staff. That from the Associated Press. Singapore sees a huge surge in new COVID coronavirus cases. The White House moves to weaken EPA rule on toxic compounds. That's from Ellen Nickmeyer, Associated Press. You want to read that. This is about Trump trying to get rid of EPA rules on toxic compounds in, and chemicals in the things that you buy. Frying pans. All kinds of things like that. Trump wants to weaken the EPA rules on that. And the EPA under him has been a joke. And he wants to weaken those rules on toxic compounds. In the consumer products that you buy. Got to read that story. Vaccines are being tested for this virus in the UK and here and other places. And there is optimism that maybe these vaccines can be effective. And remdesivir, I can never pronounce that correctly, is something that Peter Navarro, of all people, talked about in his memo from late January, I've told you about that memo, January the 29th, and also from February the 23rd, that that is a drug that is being looked at, and it was being looked at four months ago, three months ago. Well, now it's being, it's looked at again here, it's being tried out, and it's continuing to work very well. Stay tuned on that. Thank you. 
Nina Simone, black is the color of my true love's hair. Welcome back to The Politocrat. And my main idea on this episode of The Politocrat is what's going on in the black community now with COVID-19. More and more stories are coming out with what most of us know and what we understand clearly, particularly if we are black, that this virus is ravaging black communities in this country and in other countries. We're seeing this now in the UK. We're seeing at least a third, if not more, of those in the UK who are getting this virus are black people. There was a uh, briefing today by the UK government. Robert Jenrick was the uh, is the housing secretary who, by the way, contravened his own the government's own um, stay indoors policies to visit his grandparents, travel like a hundred plus miles away in in England. <laughs> I mean, anyway, Robert Jenrick, the housing secretary for Boris Johnson's uh, government, there the government. Um, in the conservative government had the press briefing today and he mentioned this, this, this situation or someone else did, if he didn't, about you know, black people in the country, in the, in the UK, in England, getting this virus. They are, uh, you, you go to a search engine and plug in black people and COVID-19, you will get a plethora of stories on the disproportionately high rates of this virus killing black people. And there are more and more reports daily on it. The late, one of the latest ones is from the Associated Press. And this is uh, something that I think is very, very obvious to me. And this is something that should really be looked at very seriously indeed. The racial toll of this virus grows even more stark. That is um, where we are with this. And this is due to systemic racism. And I think it's pretty pathetic that you have some black men on TV, be that Van Jones here in the U.S., be that Magic Johnson here in the U.S., not mentioning the words systemic racism. And I just think it's just outrageous, quite frankly, that you have people on television, but they won't utter those words. I, I, I've just never understood why that is a thing. Why is it? Why is that happening? When it's pretty darn obvious that systemic racism is the reason why we have these higher rates, three, four, five, six times their population in a state or in a city and black people are Dying from this virus. 
I don't know why you have people on television afraid to say the words systemic racism. It's got nothing to do with someone's physicality or someone's genetic makeup. And I heard Chris Cuomo talk about that on his program yesterday. Oh, it's about their density. Density? This has got nothing to do with what a black person has or doesn't have in terms of their physical makeup. This has everything to do with systemic racism that brings upon these pre-existing conditions, whether it is heart disease, whether it is diabetes, whether it is sickle cell anemia, whether it is high blood pressure, whether it is prostate cancer, whether it is horrible health outcomes that see black women dying in childbirth at least six times more than white women are. I already told you a story in a previous episode about a black woman who is a nurse in London who died during birth, childbirth, and they had to give her child a C-section and she died. While in New York City, there was a white woman in a coma who gave birth while she was in the coma. And she survived and her child survived. This is about health outcomes and disparities. And this is about systemic racism. And I am at a loss as to why there are people out there who behave as if those two words are anathema. To their vocabulary. You got to read that story. Speaking of a headline. That's a headline. It's not one that's a new headline to most of us. The racial toll of the virus grows even starker. As more data emerges. And I've tweeted about this. I tweeted about this today at the popcorn R-E-E-L. And there's some charts and graphs. The AP analysis based on data through Thursday found out that more than that of more than the 20,000 victims, 21,500 victims whose demographic data was known and disclosed by officials. Now, this is the data that has been disclosed because, as I've said, there's a lack of transparency. And especially when it comes to the race of victims, we know the genders of victims. We know who is male and who is female. We know that there are numbers, plenty of numbers for males and females, and that males die more often than females do. So why don't we have definitive numbers all across this country and around the world for when black people die and white people die, and Latinos and Asians and Native Americans and Native, Native indigenous peoples as they're called in any country? Why don't we have those definitive numbers? Why aren't states or governments or countries releasing those numbers we should be re- we should be receiving all of this information and now you're beginning to see it in the UK they're talking about this here they're obviously talking about it and in other countries they're beginning to talk about this on the african continent over a thousand people and don't forget these numbers are underinflated because there's still so many people as i talked about at the beginning who have not been tested They have not been tested. Most of us have not been tested. Black, white, Asian, Native American, or otherwise, anywhere, 
have not been tested. The sample size is so very small. We really need to do better on testing in this country and everywhere else because we just have to get a handle on how many of us are infected before we even start to talk about opening up economies. And it's really unholy. I must repeat this. It's really unholy to have these plans publicly disseminated about what it's going to look like when you're when we decide to reopen the economy and you've not had any public discussion about race, about I'm talking about state governments now, real serious conversations and publications and publicized dissertations in press conferences about the racial disparities. It shouldn't be left to people on television to be doing this. The AP analysis based on data through Thursday found that of the more than 21,500 victims whose demographic data was known and disclosed by officials, more than 6,350 were black, a rate of nearly 30%. African-Americans account for 14.2% of the 241 million people who live in the areas covered by the analysis, which encompasses 24 states and the cities of D.C., Houston, Memphis, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. These are places where statewide data was unavailable. (sighs) Do people remember? Now, I've talked about this last week in an episode of this podcast. Do people remember here in the U.S. that Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, And Baltimore were mentioned as the three cities that were going to be the next hotspots. And pretty much soon after that, there was this, let's go back to work. Let's get back to work stuff. Let's reopen things. So you want to reopen things now because what? Three cities that have sizable black populations, in some cases, over 50% black populations. 50% of the population are black in some of those cities or at least very close to 40%. So now you want to go back to work, open up the economy because what? These rates aren't as high amongst white people. Is that where you're going? Trump, is that where you're going? Oh, this outreach to black people in your, oh, here's someone that in the AP talked about this today. Here's someone we want to outreach to this Black woman that you are promoting. So because I'm coddling up to this black woman and these two other individuals, I'll put it as that. Diamond and Cotton or whatever her name is. Now that means that I'm for you. What do you have to lose, black people? Well, our lives. And we are losing them. Thanks to you, Donald Trump. Mr. I don't take responsibility at all. And this report in the AP talks about D.C., Houston, Memphis, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia, where the data statewide is unavailable. These are hotspots where black people are dying. Data unavailable, though. We need these things released. We need these things released. From the same story in the AP. 
about the racial toll. In some areas, Native American communities also have been hit hard. In New Mexico, Native Americans account for nearly 37% of the state's 1,484 cases and about 11% of the state's population. Of the 112 deaths where race is known in Arizona, 30 were Native Americans. That is over a quarter. Of Arizona's what do you have to lose black people everything your life you have everything to lose so to those never Biden people and there are some black people among them there's a small group of people here small but loud You have your life to lose. And if you know someone who has this coronavirus, if you are a never Biden person, and particularly if you are a never Biden person and you're black, if you know someone with this virus, a loved one, a friend, your wife, your husband, your partner, your brother, your sister, another relative, or someone who has died from this virus. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. And should never be saying, never Biden. You really should be ashamed of yourselves. The guy in the White House is destroying your community, destroying this country. Latinos are dying in California, all over the place. You have white people dying all over this country. You have black people dying all over this country in wide numbers disproportionate to their population. Three, four, five, six times the deaths. Six times their population. You have no excuse to be talking like this. You better vote for Joe Biden. It's that simple. Please read that story in the AP. It adds to a lot of the things I've been talking about before. There's going to be a special on CNN tonight called The Color of COVID. And Van Jones and Don Lemon are going to be hosting it. I can only hope that they are going to talk about systemic racism and stop using these euphemistic tones to talk about an issue that is killing us. You cannot beat around the bush when people are dying. You cannot be trying to make audiences comfortable, be they white or otherwise, because you want to make sure that they don't get upset at you when you talk about black people dying at disproportionate numbers. 
There is no shame in speaking about black people's issues, whether it is this coronavirus, whether it is any number of issues, the, the economy, education. This is a national health emergency. This is a global health emergency. When you've got a population of people dying at three, four, five times the percentages of their populations, that's a global health emergency and more. And systemic racism is the very thing that is at the heart of this. Here is what Dr. Kamara Jones, who I've mentioned before, has spoken about to this issue. And she spoke about it recently, actually a week ago, on the MSNBC program AM Joy with Joy Reid. Listen to this. Well, we have to first understand that black people are not more susceptible to the virus. So they're... The reason we have the, the excess is because we're more exposed. We've already talked about frontline jobs, also being in jails or being unhoused. We're less protected on the frontline jobs because we're not valued. And so those two things together make us more likely to be infected. And then once infected, we are more likely to have a severe form of the disease because we have a lot of diabetes, heart disease, other chronic diseases in the community. And those chronic diseases aren't in the community because of our genes. They're not there because we don't care about our health. They are there exactly because we are living in segregated settings that have limited opportunity, limited risk, more exposures. And many white Americans aren't really aware of how segregated the society is. They have no idea how different the living situations are because we... It's like living on opposite sides of an open closed sign. So there's a system in this country that is structuring opportunity and assigning value based on race. And we call that system racism. So that is how we can talk about the COVID-19 excess black deaths being due to racism. But it's not just those deaths. It's the infant mortality disparities. Two times as many of our babies dying before their first birthday. It's the maternal mortality. Three times as many of our mothers. And on and on and on. We are just looking at it now and saying, oh my God, racism. Because these deaths are piling up so fast that we can't just look away or normalize it or ignore it. Well said, Dr. Jones. Well said. And I think that this is the kind of alarm we must be ringing, sounding. Tonight, there's going to be, again, as I said earlier, a special on CNN called The Color of covid And I'm actually going to watch it because I want to see whether Don Lemon and Van Jones are going to really get into this issue of systemic racism or are they going to tiptoe around it like Chris Cuomo did last night? Chris Cuomo, again, was talking about they don't have the density, the density because of the density of black people, that's. That's why this is part of the reason they're getting this virus. Neither he nor Van Jones, who was his guest last night, Friday night, 
said anything about racism. They never mentioned the word. They skirted around it. Systemic inequality, systemic issues. Why are people, some people, be they black, be they white, why are people, some people, afraid on national television here in the U.S. to use the words systemic racism or institutionalized racism? Dr. Kamara Jones told it like it is in that clip that she you just heard. Black people dying at these higher rates. You've got Latinos dying at these higher rates. And you've heard nothing from Trump in terms of explaining this, talking about it, nothing in these campaign rallies, nothing. When a press person put that picture, a question to him a week or two ago, he said, oh, I don't know why. I, I don't know why this is happening. Why is it that black people are getting it more than anybody else? Yeah, I don't know why, Donald. Why Why is it that black people are getting this more? Jesus Christ. There is an article that I uh, think that you should also consult here. A really good one. And I know that uh, Charles Blow on the New York Times has been writing about this recently. He did a, a story entitled The Brother Killer. And there is a story that was done in the Boston Globe that I recommend highly. And uh, this is a story that I think you will find to be of great edification and elucidation. Renee Graham from the Boston Globe. This is dated April the 10th, 2020. It's an opinion uh, story. But this, it doesn't matter really, quite frankly, because it, it's... It's fact that she discusses here in this story. And it outlines what Dr. Jones, Dr. Kamara Jones has said, what I've said, and what millions of many other people have said. This is a, from the Boston Globe opinion from Renee Graham, who is the Boston Globe columnist. And the headline of this story is, being a person of color isn't a risk factor for coronavirus Living in a racist country is. Subtitle, high COVID-19 deaths in communities of color are shocking but not surprising. And that is the way we should be looking at this. This isn't something about black people, as I've said and as you just heard Dr. Jones say, inherent. There isn't some kind of inherent or pathological thing in black people that makes us the people who are susceptible to this virus. It is the pre-existing condition of living in a systemic racist society. That is what the situation is. I urge you to read these articles. I am going to be reposting these articles on Twitter at the popcorn r-e-e-l and i will also by the way attach a couple of these articles to the episode that you are listening to 
So you should be able to have already seen links to a couple of these stories that I have put in the episode notes. So wherever you're getting your podcast of this episode, wherever you're getting your podcast from, you should see a description that carries links to a couple of these stories that I have discussed here about black people getting this virus at higher rates. And by the way, the story that I read from the Associated Press that talks about the racial data, there are graphs that I think you should look at that talk about of all the states that have released information and all the cities that have, there are graphs charting just how high the black uh, totals are from getting this virus and, 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 be, and dying from this virus that are exemplified for you to look at. And I will link to that so that you can actually see this. Um, because I think this is, re- this is something that is a serious state of emergency. And you may be able to hear sirens going off in the background. And literally those sirens could just as well be going off in the background because they are sounding the alarm of how serious this virus is for everybody, but even more serious in particular for black communities all over the planet and also Native Americans, Native indigenous cultures and peoples everywhere on the globe, Latinos and other individuals across the globe. I mean, this is, you know, Asian people are getting this and now they're beginning to be higher numbers of that. And you've got states in this country without stay-at-home orders and surprise, surprise, the rates of infection and death are climbing in Iowa, where there is no stay-at-home order. In Nebraska, where there is no stay-at-home order. In North Dakota, where there is no stay-at-home order. In South Dakota, where there is no stay-at-home order. You've got Tyson Foods plants, where people are dying. South Dakota now, in their meat plants, has the most number of deaths than any other place in the country. Because that wackadoodle governor, Christy Nome, has said, no, we stay at home. We're not staying at home anywhere. We're reopening the state. Be fruitful and multiply and die. That's what your governor in South Dakota is telling you. Christy Nome, N-O-E-M is her last name. How's that for success? We're doing so well here in South Dakota. We can allow you to go and die freely. And by the way, isn't Fox News a place that should be shut down? Shouldn't we close down Fox News? Isn't Fox News a very danger to national health? Isn't Fox News a national security risk? I mean, Fox News is shouting fire in a crowded theater. I mean, if that's not having, I mean, having these three wackadoodle doctors, one of which is not a doctor, by the way, Dr. Phil, he's not even a friggin' doctor. Can we shut Fox News down? Can we quarantine Fox News for good? 
All they are doing on there is spreading misinformation and lying. They got rid of, at least Fox Business News, got rid of Trish Regan earlier this month for downplaying this virus and saying that it was an attempt to attack the president. And it was a hoax. But she wasn't the only one that said those things. Sean Hannity said them. You had Laura, Laura Ingram, who knows better, saying things like this. Isn't this akin to shouting fire in a crowded theater? I know people are going to say First Amendment, First Amendment. But hey, people are dying listening to Fox News. People in their 60s and 70s are dying, taking hydroxychloroquine because Trump said so. And people in Phoenix particularly dying. One man dead, his wife in an ICU. I don't know if she's still alive or not. But they listened to his briefings, his press campaign rallies for his re-election campaign. His re-election campaign is death. That's what his re-election campaign is. You've got these fools in various states protesting. We want to reopen. This is all about the economy. This is funded by the DeVos family, these protests. Betsy DeVos's family, the rich DeVosses, funding these things and tricking you into thinking they're a populist movement. And that's what the rich do. They use populism to maintain their control and maintain their greed and amassing more wealth, scamming people in small business and taking all their money. So these big corporations get your money. And then they fund these fake movements. They pay these people. They fund these fake, these protests in Michigan and in Minnesota and in Huntington Beach in California here, south of here. You know, you know, in Los, in the Los Angeles area, around that area, down there in Southern California, they fund these ridiculous protests. They pay these people to kick up a racket, and they try to get you to think that oh, this is what people want: this fake populist movement to maintain their businesses and to open up business again, to fund their coffers. That's all this is about. It's hideous and it's disgusting, quite frankly. None of these people are calling for testing. Do you notice that? All these protests, none of them are calling for testing. None of them are calling for testing infrastructure. They just want to go back to work. Go back to work. Open up the place. We're upset. Open up the place. But none of them are talking about testing. None of them are talking about testing. They've got no mask on, no gloves. You've got an idiot governor in Florida who's opening up beaches. Or you've got Jacksonville mayors doing it. Opening up beaches in Jacksonville, in the area of Jacksonville. And you've got people on the beach, no social distancing, and very few people wearing masks. And Florida's death rate continues to rise. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? You've got some guy interviewed on television... Well, I don't know whether it's a good idea that the beaches are open or whether it's a bad idea. So what are you doing on the beach? 
is just pathetic. We are a laughing stock and we are embarrassing. Not just to ourselves, but to the world. And Donald Trump is making people dumber. So is Fox News. And Fox News should be quarantined permanently. Quite frankly, we're going to make sure that Donald Trump is out of the White House this November and make sure that we get Democratic majorities in the Senate and in state houses all across this country. Because this Republican depression is exposing everything. This is the great Republican depression. And black people, quite frankly, are suffering the worst because of it. I think that is something that Don Lemon and Van Jones and America Ferreira and Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley should be talking about tonight on CNN. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.